0: In their quiet chambers aboard the interstellar craft circling high above this world, the Arabs, doubling as observers and mapmakers here at the destination, routinely scrutinized the area around the hatch through their far-watchers. The newly-minted hatch was the key objective of the mission, after all, and deserved surveillance and protection. And now Centurion Quintus Fabius himself was in the air on the way to investigate. The leather sack of the aerial Cetus creaked and snapped as the great craft shifted in the light wind. Quintus was standing alongside the command position, a bank of levers worked by a remex, one of the junior crew who reported to Movina, the Triarchus, the commander of the ship itself. Like Movina, this remex was a bricante, and just as arrogant and sullen as Movina herself and all her kind. And yet you couldn't argue about his competence. As he stroked his levers, great paddles shifted in the air around the flank of the Cetus, and the craft moved sweetly in response, heading towards the hatch, which stood open on the scarred plane that Quintus's engineers had made when they had unleashed the hot breath of the colonels on this world. And created this wonder. The bridge of the Cetus was a clutter of controls and instruments, and scuffed wooden tables on which lay heaped charts and itineraries, mappings of this world hand drawn since the expedition's arrival three years ago. The air was redolent with the characteristic scent of the Bricanti, the folk of the uncivilized north with the mead they drank and the treated hog leather they wore, and the tang of the Valhallan tobacco they liked to chew as they worked. But this mundanity terminated at the window, before which an alien world unfolded before Quintus's eyes. Even after three years, even after he had walked so much of it, and even after he had changed its face significantly by building roads and camps and the permanent colony, and, of course, creating the hatch, still Quintus found this world astounding. The hatch itself had been set on a scrap of higher land, overlooking a plain on which native vegetation sprawled, a low scrub of purple and white studded with odd orange cones, the Greek philosophers aboard assured Quintus that the cones were communities of creatures mostly too small to see, cities of the invisible, each mound a roam of the germs. Further away the land rose up, ascending towards lofty mountains before which foothills stood in attendance, and those mountains and hills, each a massive plug of volcanic rock, had been shaped, with terraces and walls and mighty crenellations that cast sharp shadows in the unchanging mother-of-pearl light of the principal sun, Romulus. They were mountains turned into fortresses by beings who had once lived here, and remade their world and vanished. Blown themselves to bits, no doubt, Quintus had heard his gloomier legionaries conclude in the camps— And yet those mountain sculptors evidently shared something with the rudest legionary from the poorest province of the Empire. They had built hatches. Well, Quintus had brought his ship here, and the engineers and the legionaries and the slaves had built their own hatch, and their names would be remembered for it— the ancient number of the legion of which this century was a part, inscribed at the foot of the stone cross of Jesu that was the only human monument permitted to accompany a hatch. This was forever Quintus's hatch, and this world, the fourth of the family that surrounded this stellar twin, Romulus, would, once the permanent colonia was formally dedicated by the vicarius, become the latest province of a Roman Empire that had now reached to the stars themselves. This was what he had achieved. He, Quintus' father-